Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who has just been told goodbye by one of his audience. Even though he isn't even on stage yet. How did that happen? It's Richard Harry! Hello, welcome to the final episode of Series 12 uh, of Richard Harry's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. I was talking to uh, my Alexa device. It's it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool device. You can say stuff to it and uh, it will do the things. And you can say, Alexa, give me an emergency question. And if you've downloaded the emergency questions app, it will give you an emergency question. I think I might just get uh, film that and then we can uh, clip to it doing that. It's quite freaky. Uh, so uh, we got one to find out. Anyway, Alexa, my best friend who is a r- robot voice, a bit covered in semen. She calls it... Uh, it's in the kitchen, but I still manage. It's, it's all right if it's a robot. Those are the rules. Uh, it's, that's the new rules. She calls it Rahel Estepa. So that is... Um, I've, uh, this is, this uh, podcast pretty much will mark, when it comes out, will mark uh, almost exactly 10 years to the day since I began podcasting. So that is, um, and I'm still going. And apparently, apparently this audience considers that an achievement rather than a sad disaster. But uh, we'll, hopefully we'll keep going for another 10 years. It's insane. Uh, it also, as I said in the last podcast, 10 years since... Start going out with my wife, but that's not that's not going as well as the podcast. So uh, I've only had two children. I mean, we've, like, we've done like 160 something of this. So uh, I was talking my children. I was watching. I've been watching Toy Story a lot with uh, my my daughter who loves Toy Story. So you end up watching like the same film over and over again. Uh, and it's made me. I've got some questions about Toy Story. I don't know if you can answer these. If Buzz Lightyear thinks he is a real person, why does he freeze when he is in the company of human beings? Yeah. Doesn't make sense, does it? Because, and also, you can't say, well, that's an instinctive thing that the toys do, because no, because... Well, that doesn't matter. He, he thinks that everything, he thinks everything's aliens and he doesn't freeze with all the other things. So why does he freeze with the humans? Doesn't make sense. And Woody can choose to come alive when he wants to. Makes you think, doesn't it? And who animated the toys in the first place and decided the cut-off point of what would get animated and what wouldn't? Because, like, is, is a brick, does that come alive? Does, like, just a piece of dirt come alive? It was. So who decided that? And why are the toys all obeying the rules of whoever decided that? Interesting question. Why are they keeping up the rules? What's it? Even when they're being destroyed, they still they they will still go. No, I'm going to carry on not moving. Fucking move, mate! He's about to blow you up with a rocket. Well, it's good questions. Uh, you know, the audience are shocked into silence. <laughs> they haven't thought of that. Anyway, my guest this week, my final guest of the series, we saved the best to last. He's probably best known for his appearance on episode 14 of Rich Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he was also a team captain on What the Dickens. Yeah. Yeah. I could hear the screams of excitement from that. It's Dave Gorman, ladies and gentlemen. Are you Dave Gorman? Are you? Are you? Dave Gorman. Welcome. Come in. Sit down. Pull up a microphone. I will pull up a microphone. Up. Sit down. Make yourself at home. 
Thank welcome, you, Richard. Welcome again. It's very nice to be here what again. What do you think of the new chairs? I was thinking I should have held off until the next series when you're <laughs> going to get some fucking new chairs. That's what I'm thinking. We'll get you back in, another, yeah. in the future when those new chairs are old. Of course, you, Richard, yeah. are best known as Percy the Shepherd <laughs> in Servants from I 2003, am. aren't you? I am well known. What was your motivation for that role, Richard? Well, I... Um, it was a Somerset. Somerset. Yeah. My motivation Gannon, was to be Lucy Somerset. Gannon creation. Go out did, yeah. Yeah. It, and it went out against, I think, Celebrity, Celebrity Brother or something like that. It was. It disappeared without trace. Uh, there was, yeah, Joe Obsolum, Joe Obsolum was on it. I met him. It was yeah. doing the scene with him. He was a nice guy from EastEnders. Mm-hmm. Uh, chatted with him. It looked like it was going to be a big hit. They wanted sexy people. They wanted all sexy people to be in it. And that's why I was cast yeah. as yeah. Percy the Shepherd. Can you, how many readings of, you've got a, my favourite line. Yeah. All of us, we have the same favourite line, <laughs> don't we, from, yeah. from Servants. Uh, may your balls, may your bollocks blacken and drop off, my lord. Well, oh yeah, that's um, good. How many? Can you try that in different sort of readings? Did the directors all a bit more this? Bit they less took that? my first reading of it. Okay, I think it was the only time I, I've been for a few auditions in my life, mm-hmm. and I think I got this audition because someone I was at school with, yeah, was going out with the casting director, and they said <laughs> we're, we're really struggling to find someone who can do a Somerset Shepherd. And they said, what about mm-hmm. Richard Herring? And then they got me into audition it, and I auditioned, and I thought I'm going to get this. Yeah. Only time that's ever happened. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, I was right. May your bullets say, blacken and drop off, my yeah, lord. That's it's, a, it's a great line. I had to do it sort of as he was passing by and just under yeah. my breath. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there was a, like a horse when a carriage came past. Yeah. And it was quite scary. And like the director said, oh, the promising young actor Richard Herring killed in his first <laughs> run. Oh, thanks a lot, mate. Nice one. Uh, good. You t- literally turned that round on me. I've been Louis Theroux. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I should say, uh, I forgot to say, this was the one thing I was meant to say in the introduction. This is nothing to do with you, Dave. On our Kickstarter, thank you for backing this. This is the reason this is being videoed. We did ask some people to sponsor the shows if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. We got two people who did it, one of whom withdrew the money before it got taken. Okay, yeah. Uh, The only person who's... Is that when you told them who was on? (laughs) No, that was before it even finished. Uh, The only person whose money went through is called Gary J. Newman. I don't think it's the... Not Gary Newman. I don't think it is. He's putting the J in on purpose to to sort of... (laughs) That is so, not Gary Newman. Uh, who said, I just wanted to give the podcast some money. I don't really want to be advertised anything. Uh-huh. But you could mention... That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. He said, but we could mention facepunch.com, which I looked up. It seems to be a load of nonsense. But, you know, that is, thanks for the... Thanks. Well done, Gary J. Newman. Gary J. Newman. Yeah. 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 Thank yeah. you. Thank. Sorry, I've, all the way through the series, I've forgotten to do that. So I'm glad <laughs> I finally managed to Good do for it. him. Anyway, let's talk to you, Dave, about... Uh, do you remember What the Dickens? I do remember What the Dickens. You did quite a few What the Dickens. I did... One series of What the Dickens in one week yes. in Hay on Wye in a tent. Okay. Uh, which was... Um, so it was sort of sold to me. It's going to be a, a sort of panel show, but it's for Sky Arts, and it's going to be quite literary, and we're doing it at the Hay Literary Festival. And it's Sandy Toxvig, who is... I, 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 she's sainted as far as I'm concerned, and it's Tim Brooke Taylor as the other team captain, and I'm a huge goodies fan, and the chance to work with Tim would be brilliant uh, and, and I was going to go to Hay on Way anyway to do a book reading and it just meant staying at Hay on Way for another four days and it's a lovely place to be and we recorded these panel shows uh, in a tent and instead of it being about books it just very quickly became clearly between them deciding to do it and getting there they decided that no one knew enough about books <laughs> and in so it was just <laughs> sort of pop culture questions right. about the Spice Girls and anything else wow. so it was a very sort of you know it was, it was a fun thing to do yeah um, I did an episode of well, What the Dickens, but it was in a different series to that because it was it, yeah, Sky, Film yeah, Sky. Yeah. Was that before or after? That was after, okay. and, and that was... Um, I remember sitting there 
uh, with Sandy afterwards, and, and we'd done it thinking it was like a bit of a one-off, and it was to do with hay, and it was an event. Yeah. And then afterwards, everyone started going, oh, we think we might get a series. And I was like, I didn't know this was a pilot. <laughs> I, I thought this was just it. And, and Sandy was saying, if there's a series, Tim, Dave, I'm not doing it without you. I'm not doing it without you. Yeah. Uh, and then I got offered the series when it went to series, and I said, is Tim doing it? And they went, no. <laughs> so she, she, she's bullshit. Um, <laughs> Uh, Sandy, but he, he might have already said no. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he was offered it and said no, but I, I said no at that point. Sue as well. Perkins was one of the team captains. Sue Perkins and Chris Addison took over. Chris as Addison. team captains, yeah. They just and I did it as a guest because it was yeah. no no ill will. I just didn't want to be doing another series yeah. without All Tim Brooke Taylor. Not without me and Tim. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> it's good. Both got arthritic fingers. <laughs> Can you believe it's um, five years since you appeared on this show before? Can you I can because that? I have marked time. <laughs> Relative to my appearance on this podcast ever since. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think of my life as before <laughs> yeah. Richard Herring's Lesser Square Theatre podcast yeah. and after. And now it's confusing because I've now got a, a sort of Two interregnum yeah. Um, yeah. to consider the five year interregnum. I'll have to yeah. go after the second of it. And it's going to be. Yeah. Gonna be oh, so I'll, have to, I'll just have to. Maybe I'll just go from when I was born instead from here on in. <laughs> it's probably an easier system. Okay. Yeah. But a lot, oh, a lot has happened in that five years, hasn't it, Dave? Yeah, mainly the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> over and over and over again. But it has happened. Yeah, yeah. Um. We had we had no children, did we, between us? Neither five of us years had children. Ago. Now we've got three between three us, haven't we? One and a half each. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you kindly offered backstage to uh, take my children on holiday with your my, my in-laws. in-laws. Yeah. yeah, so that's nice. Oh, yeah. We went on holiday, myself, my wife, and my in-laws, and our child, and it was the best holiday because four grown-ups and one child is brilliant especially when their grandparents who are starved of a lot of contact with him so they really want to spend time with him so we i think since he's been born myself and my wife have been out together of an evening maybe six times right and two of them were on that holiday <laughs> in one week and it was just joyous yeah and i highly recommend you going on holiday with avon ivan richards i'm going to yeah and I'm not going to bring the kids. I'm just yeah. going to go. <laughs> the best kind of holiday is two people, no in-laws and no kids. That is... I, ca- I can't remember. <laughs> That's the best. I those are the good those. holidays. I can't remember because we're not allowed to go on holiday anymore. Uh, it's, uh, so, but my, I've got a son called Ernie and you've got a son called Eric. Yeah. And we called him Ernie. Yeah. So that just in case my backup plan of Stuart Lee's son and my son forming yeah. a double X. Yeah. My, uh, my real plan was me and Stuart Lee's son forming a double act. Yeah. Uh, and j- just the double act consisting of him looking exactly like young Stuart Lee. Yeah. And then yeah. me being old and him turning to me going, ah! <laughs> uh, but then my second plan was for my daughter or my son yeah. to have a double act with the Lee. But I think, like, Eric and Ernie. We were, I was just slightly annoyed because we had thought if we have a second child yeah. and it's a boy, then Ernie was high on the list. <laughs> okay. And now we kind of can't. Oh, Although... I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of semi-serious. We do think about it, but then there is that point where you would be in a park and they'd both run off and you would be there going, Eric, Ernie! <laughs> and, and it would be ridiculous, yeah. but we did think about it and now we kind of can't because right. we know you was... well enough for that to be awkward. Sorry, Dave. It's all right. My nephew has a son. Yeah. He's called Albert, so they can do a double act called Bert and Ernie as well. Yeah. So yeah, 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 we've got it covered both ways. I really he's, thought he's the up. pivot. <laughs> he has to be in one of them or the other. <laughs> or all of them. Yeah. He could just be in yeah. everything. He might turn out not to be very funny. Well, could be genetically, just... that's yeah. quite likely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's fun. As, as, as Eric started That's being... That's not fair. Your wife is hilarious. She is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> As, as Eric started, I had this yesterday. We had some friends around, and um, they did this thing where um, they, you know those big balls, expanding balls from the science museum that are just yeah, made in yeah, So they're yeah. not got thrown quite high in the air, and it hit Phoebe on the head, right? And obviously, mm-hmm. no damage was done. It was yeah. just made of pipes, and she went. And then she went, and then she kind of did a really brilliant pratfall <laughs> and then lay down for about three or four minutes as yeah. if she was knocked out. And it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. The timing was brilliant. Yeah. I just thought, this is, how she'd learned to... No, I haven't, no one's ever taught her to do that. Yeah. And then just think, this is, this is brilliant. They started being independently amusing. Yeah. Have you, have you, has Eric got to that point yet? He's Eric is... I don't know how much of it's conscious and how much of it isn't. He, he does this thing. I think it's very funny, and I think he knows it's funny, and I think he partly does it because he's rewarded with laughter. He will nag you for something. So he, he loves a mini-milk. Yeah. Uh, so he'll be in the kitchen trying to open the freezer door. I go, mini milk, mini milk, <laughs> mini milk, mini milk, mini milk, mini milk. And if eventually you say, Eric, would you like a mini milk? He goes, okay. Uh, <laughs> as if it was all your idea. <laughs> Which I, I, just, I just love. And... <laughs> um, what I like about the ice, the ice lolly as currency is my daughter will be like, you'll go in the morning, you'll give her whatever for breakfast. You'll yeah. like anything else for breakfast. You'll go, ice lolly? And you go, yes, you can't have ice lollies for breakfast. And you go, oh, please, please. Every morning we go through the same thing. Yeah. And you say, it's not, it will never happen. It never happens. A, it's quite interesting that she keeps on trying. Yeah. B, when she's out of the room, I have an ice lolly. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> she's gone on about it so much, it makes me like, I, we, she likes tangle. Yeah, yeah she yeah. likes tangle twisters. Yeah, have you got those? They're not. They're, they're no. Mini milks are probably a bit healthier. Mini milks are. Uh, we feel like it's the healthiest of the ice lollies. <laughs> tangle twisters aren't healthy. They're nice. He though. had he had his first taste of pop two days ago. All right, and that that was you know never again. Um, they, I mean, it, what's amazing when you see a toddler who's had like it was like tango or something. And he just had a few sips of, of it. Um, and you see how on crack he is <laughs> after that. Do you know what it reminded me of? Years ago, I was at the New Zealand Comedy Festival. And in New Zealand, they had this energy drink that was... It's basically Red Bull, but it's not Red Bull. And it was in a can, the same diameter, but twice as tall, that was painted to look like a, a stick of dynamite. And, and you weren't allowed to sell it to children. It was that potent. It was like, this is yeah. for adults only, even though it's just like caffeine and taurine and all that. And one night at the sort of late night festival club, Bill Bailey decided to drink four and then do his set. <laughs> and so we all sort of crowded on the balcony to watch the most hyper Bill you've ever seen in your life. And it was hilarious. And Eric was that <laughs> after like three sips of tango. Yeah. And you look at it and go, what's amazing actually is how we are able to process that kind of sugar without going like that. Because that's what it does to the human body. Yeah. And he was completely hyper. And we were driving home from a, a soft play. And he sort of never does this. But again, this really, really made us laugh. Because we're, sort of, we're driving along. And there's always cars here and there's cars there. And all of a sudden we sort of slowed down in traffic. And Eric looked out the window and went, hello car, it's Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you not say hello to all the other cars? Why are you rude to all of them? There are just as many of them. What's, yeah. what's the thing? Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Do you think when comedians have children, they become quite boring and just talk about their kids? <laughs> I think... 
I think comedians whose children aren't as fascinating as mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. I think, well, I think it's quite interesting because lots of people put that, say that to comedians. Yeah, I, yeah. Think it's, I, I don't think it really stacks up because you see a lot of comedians have uh, kids. It's not like Stuart and Bridget who had kids and were still doing shows, like yeah, with the, yeah, you yeah. Know, young kids and doing very inventive, incredible shows. But also, it's, I, think, I, I think it says more about the pe- kind of people who say that than it does. Because it's like going, I have to go and see a comedian who shares the same life experience as me, and the minute they don't anymore, it's boring to me. Is that, is that I, fair? I, I, I think, for, well, for me, because especially because I do the stuff with PowerPoint, the whole point of that for me is... You don't have to know about it in advance. I'm going to show you all the details. I'm going to show you all my working. You don't ever have to have seen this thing. You will still be able to find it funny. So I've done shows in America where American audiences are finding Holmes under the hammer funny. And they've never seen it. And they're not sitting there going, how dare you talk to us about this? They're watching the the thinking and the working out, and it's absolutely fine. And so, inevitably, my TV diet has changed... (laughs) And so I've done material about Topsy and Tim, but all I'm doing is applying exactly the same methodology as I applied to Topsy and Tim as I, as I applied previously to Holmes and the Hammer. Yes. And you don't need to have watched it. No. And it's, it's not twee... The thing to avoid for me is the, you know, opening the nappy and him weeing on you and all that sort of yeah. observational stuff, which I think has... That's been dealt with. Well, when it's been but done, yeah. Yeah. But there's other stuff... In yeah, there. See, and you just sort of apply this. If you're doing it your way, yeah. then I don't think it really matters what it is. You've done um, five series, is it? Is it f- the fifth series or the fourth? Yeah, the fifth, fifth series, series is on at the moment. Uh, of Modern Life is Goodish. Yeah, uh, and it's it's sort of an incredible feat. And I do we uh, we you know I, we we do see each other socially every now and again. So I know how hard you work on it. But but um, you know you're basically writing. Well, how many episodes in this series? Eight episodes there's eight in this in series? It, there's, there's 36 across the five series we did. The first series was six, then we did two of eight, and then the year where it was born, I said I'm not doing eight, so we did six again. Yeah, fair and enough. And now we've done eight this year. Can't do eight in, yeah. in that, a year like that. That would yeah. be insane. So it's 36 in total. Yeah. Yeah. So you basically, I mean, they're, they're an hour long or, f- or 50 minutes long. Sort of 45, 46 yeah. minutes in So you're basically writing eight, eight Edinburgh shows a year. Yeah. With a bit of help. I'm not, uh, yeah. and I have some brilliant people working with me. But it has to have a sort of integrity. And it is, I get loads of people, punters, sort of saying, oh, you should do stuff about this. And it's, it, I've, I tried occasionally and it never works. It works when it comes from my own experience. Yeah. So even though there's people helping me, I kind of have to be instigating most of it yeah. and, and creating and most of it. doing the PowerPoint yourself, which is incredibly difficult, isn't it? You haven't never found anyone who can do the PowerPoint. We, we tried... Well, the, the, basically, it's, it's sort of limited by my flaws. So I've never been able to write something and then, have, and then say to someone else, can you see how that's PowerPointed? Go and, go and do that bit of the job. Yeah. A lot of the... I, I basically never write anything down on paper. I build PowerPoint, and as I'm building it, I think of jokes. And yeah. unless I'm actually looking at how the PowerPoint moves and changes, and there's about 500, 600 slides in an hour, unless I'm doing that, I don't think of the things. Right. So it's, it's impossible, and it's a really slow, fucking boring <laughs> part of the job. So I work 100 hours a week for the two weeks before recording, and I go to bed at 5 in the morning, and I get, I'm at my desk again at 10 in the morning, and that's the only way of getting it done. Yeah. And it's, it's, so it's kind of brutal. But it's not the, that's not kind of, oh, woe is me. It's just for two weeks, that's the only way of making enough slides. Sure. That's it. So it's just a bit But of it's a an incredible. It's, I mean, no, 
I think we both discussed how hard each other worked, <laughs> yeah. but that's an incredible... Think you're, you're about the only person like, no, yeah, yeah, you look at all you do, you know, kind of, but, it's fair enough with... But then, you know, a lot of my stuff's just me messing around, making up as I go along, so that's easy. But then, uh, you know, to to be writing shows that are, and that, that are that well-crafted, and they've got callbacks within them, and they all work as individual shows, it is very, it's a very impressive, you know, series, a show, and then it's six Thank series you. worth. I'm really enjoying this uh, series, I've seen all, the, the, as we... Talk, four episodes have gone out. Though. I think yeah. they will, and this like, is going to go out in the new year, won't it? So yeah, they'll, they'll so all have gone out. They'll all have gone out. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just imagine the second four are good too. But there's, they are. Yeah, they're, okay. they're all right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, if you like the first four, I think you'll like the next four. <laughs> but I quite like the, you know, there's, it's nice as a, if you watch all of them, the, yeah. you do some nice callbacks to, to previous shows without it being exclusive as well, I think. So there's, there's, a, there's a, it's a weird, it sort of feeds itself. Um, and the first couple of times we were do- talking about something that had like an echo in series two, the, I can't even an example, but we're talking about something that had an echo of something in series one, and the audience would remember it, and, yeah. they, and you could tell from their reaction. So you, in, now we're just like every time there's the opportunity, yeah. that, you know, since series three, every time there's been reason to talk about a twenty pound note, it's been folded in a particular way, and yeah. every time the audience sees it folded in a particular way, there's a little ripple of applause, <laughs> and God knows what people who have never seen the show before think. <laughs> Like yeah, some really boring, yeah. boring origami <laughs> fans out there, but yeah, um, yeah there's lo- there is there's lots of that, and it has kind of created its own little ecosystem for I, a certain I, audience. I like Neil Sean, yes, <laughs> who has made a couple of appearances. He has, and this yeah. series is sort of extraordinary in that you found this DVD of D dot r dot eight w dot h dot o, yeah, with the lost interviews of Doctor yeah. Who. It is one of the most extraordinarily awful pieces of merchandise I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not a Doctor Who fan, so I don't, I don't sort of bring a lot of knowledge to it, but I can watch it and go, that's bullshit. <laughs> Every single step of the way. And, it, I mean, it's literally... It, it boasts on it um, with original, exclusive and extensive interviews with David Tennant, Doctor Who himself. And, and he was a Doctor Who at the time this was released. And there's about four and a half minutes on the DVD with David Tennant... One and a half minutes of which is repeated. So actually there's about three minutes with David Tennant. And in the other one and a half minutes that's not the bit that's repeated, Neil Sean asks one question, and the other question is asked by the journalist who stood next to him. And David Tennant cannot wait to get away from both of them. And it is, I mean, it's just... It's, it's quite remarkable. And yeah. he's just sort of lying... Yeah, well, but, it's, you know, it's that cashing in thing where you know certain people will buy yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Do you know how much that uh, DVD is currently on, on eBay, <laughs> on, on Amazon for? I, I, it's over 100 quid now, £195.60. Yeah. <laughs> it was £3.99 when we did the material about <laughs> okay, it. Yeah. But, but the kind of... There's this thing on, on um, Amazon. This sort of happens in a small way to one of my DVDs as well. There's a great blog about it, and it's, a, it's um, some guy who wrote a, an academic textbook about insects discovered that his book was selling for like $450 on Amazon. And the reason is you get two sellers on Amazon, and one of them, they just sort of operate by an algorithm. So one of them will have an algorithm that says, uh, find out what our competitors are selling this for, right? and then match it. And the other one is going, we've got a really strong reputation. We are a very trusted seller. So find out what our competitors are selling for, and then add on 2%. 
And so one of them goes in at nine quid, and the other one goes in at nine pounds plus two percent, and the other one goes in, all right, we can go at nine quid and two percent. And then they go, oh, bloody hell, they're at nine quid and two percent, let's add two percent. And it just goes up and up and up and up. And if it's a book that no one is buying, there's no break on that process. And it just escalates, <laughs> and it ends up in, in this case. It's sort of it's it's not proof that anyone will pay 195 pounds for his DVD. It's proof that no one will pay three pounds for his DVD. <laughs> and so it's just travelled, and neither of those sellers have gone. What the fuck? <laughs> Put it down. But then also, I'm sure people having having seen your episode. <laughs> I would love to watch the DVD. I would love to watch that DVD now. It's the same as everyone going on about Don Estelle's autobiography being sort of terrible and, and yeah. poorly written, and then you... Yeah, yeah, no, the, there's definitely that goes an ironic up and up and enjoyment. And, if yeah. people, and, and there were certainly people I know who bought it out of, for, for that ironic pleasure, and they probably helped to sort of create a tension that made those algorithms kick in or something. But it is... Um, because generally, like, when we've taken the piss out of people on the show... It's really tongue-in-cheek, and it's a very... Light. The only person I've ever given a proper kicking to is Neil Sean. Yes. And we've now done it twice. Um, <laughs> and I do absolutely hate the man. I think, he's, uh, I think he's a charlatan. I think he's a mean-spirited little shit. I think he's unprofessional. I think he's lazy. I think he uh, is illiterate. I think he... <laughs> He teaches people, he offers courses where he takes money to teach how to broadcast, and there's his DVD that is self-shot and badly lit and full of lies. His writing is appalling. I, I, I want to do... Uh, he's written a book about Marilyn Monroe, and I want to release a book where I do a sentence-by-sentence critique of it, where I just could literally... The first sentence is incorrect, and so is the second, and so is the third. I like, just find him the most appalling human being, and he's a leech. He, he completely... He just sort of... He's a showbiz, waspy kind of critique, critic of people, and he sits on the fringes being mean-spirited and looking at women and going, oh, that dress, and he's just, it's just mean. There's just yeah. nothing nice about what he does, and I, I just think he's awful. And because I can't hide how much I hate him, and it's less funny when you know there's actual hatred in there, and I don't, I don't want to hate him, I can't help how much I hate him, because he's so mean-spirited and evil in what he does. He's so bad at what he does. And it, what he does shows so little respect for an audience. And that's the, that genuinely is the thing that annoys me the most. The idea that you think that's okay. Yes. To toss that shit out <laughs> with lies and bullshit and everything's incorrect and, you don't, and you're trying to take money. I just think it's a horrible thing to do. And I can't hide that. And when we were sort of doing dry runs of the material... <laughs> my hatred would sort of bubble over <laughs> and an audience who would be laughing along would suddenly be going, oh, God. <laughs> oh. Is that a bit harsh? <laughs> and, and we solved it by getting a, a Doctor Who expert in. Uh, and he's a very funny comic, yes, Toby Haydoke. Uh, and he also happens to be, like, the biggest Doctor Who fan in the world and he does a podcast all about Doctor Who. And when anything Doctor Who is happening, he'll appear on BBC Breakfast as the Doctor Who expert. and whatever. So he's a proper aficionado. And we didn't show him any of the DVD. In, instead of me relating what I thought about the show, which had that kind of bubbling, seething <laughs> hatred, which I, I try my hardest to disguise... I would just sort of play a bit and then go, Toby, what do you think? <laughs> and it allowed me to be completely clean. And his shock, his just visible that you're... He, he looked like we were making it up, like the whole thing was a sketch, like we'd paid Neil Sean to recall something that appalling. Yeah. I, it's a bit where he says, um, 
Uh, in this exclusive interview, I talked to Felicity Kendall about what it was like playing Agatha Christie in Doctor Who. And then there's a clip of him talking to, uh, to um, Felicity Kendall, and it's about a West End play, and at no point does he mention her playing <laughs> Agatha Christie in Doctor Who. And, and I'm Toby, the Doctor Who expert is there, and I, I was saying, why, why do you think he doesn't mention her playing Agatha Christie in Doctor Who? Because she didn't play Agatha Christie in Doctor Who. It's that bad. Yeah. Not only is he not doing the thing he said he's doing, yeah. he can't do the thing he's doing because the thing he said he would be doing isn't possible. She didn't play that. Imagine doing that little research. You don't even know what part Felicity Kendall played that you're pretending you were talking to her about when you weren't talking to her about it. It's just mind-blowing to be that bad. And have you heard from him what he thinks about your, your coverage of him? Um, no, he's, this time, the first time he talked about him, and it was about, he used to have a column in the Metro. It was a sort yeah. of shipping... Fuckers. <laughs> Fuckers. Yeah. Um, there was like a showbiz gossip column called Green Room Behind Closed Doors. Uh, and it was all this sort of, ooh, so-and-so's been smoking outside the Green Room, and ooh, Kylie says this, ooh. Mm. So-and-so's excited to be getting a part in the West End. It was, it was just like sentences. And, and, <laughs> and lots of them repeated and messed around and just like, you could see sort of tropes in it. And so it was very easy to sort of go through. And he got really, really upset and, and started sort of, Complaining, and he got a couple of his sort of. I don't know if he got them. a couple of his showbiz friends were uh, were sort of the next morning going. Oh, I don't know why Dave Goldman was being so harsh about Neil Sean. To which the answer is, he's a professional journalist who is incompetent, and <laughs> it's a, a nationally syndicated column. And I've proved here's three lies from him, and here's his book, which is full of distortions and dishonesty, and him appearing on Australian national television and saying, "Oh, Prince William told me that the way he gets a good." Uh, uh, scent is to mix two aftershaves so you get a unique smelling point no he, he didn't right? there's absolutely no way <laughs> Prince William told you that now, you're just lying right? Like, you're just, literally just, it's just calling out a liar for being a liar, it's really you know there's nothing wrong with us, fair game it's not like just some chancer with a blog, he's broadcasting to a nation, yeah. this sort of stuff you know, and, and one of his, a Sky News reader was the next one, oh god Dave's been a bit harsh about Neil because Neil used to be a pundit on his show uh, and I sent him a copy of some tweets that Neil Sean had sent, saying, are you sure he's a nice guy? And there's a tweet from Neil that says, ooh, now I know why they wear a burka, saw the wind blow on up, pot ugly. Um, yeah, exactly. This is the man we're talking about, right? Uh, and this Sky News reader in me went, oh, I didn't know that. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> go, go for your life. Um, and Neil decided that, um, that the show was homophobic. And there is literally at no point, I didn't do an impression of him, I didn't do anything that was sort of campish, I didn't do a voice for him, I literally just read his words and his sexuality did not come into it. And because he was getting upset, I was using TweetDeck at the time and I created a column for at Neil Sean one <laughs> I do like the fact that he has to have the username at Neil Sean one it's just sort of a bit satisfying. Uh, so I had a column running for that and I would see every comment that was going to him and most of them were just going, ha ha, you liar, you've been, you know, and you know, giving him a little dig in the ribs for it. Occasionally, people would be tweeting things like, ah, you fucking cunt, and I would tell them off. I would always go, that's not fair, that's personal abuse, leave it out. Yeah. That's, not, that's not what we're doing here. So I was always, I was completely on it. I read every single tweet that was going to him. And I, I thought I'd call him at work, so I called his work. 
and said, can I speak to Neil Sean, please? And they said, who's speaking? I said, it's Dave Gorman. And they said, OK, wait a minute. And he, this sort of panic on the phone. And he said, oh, what, what do you want? I said, I'm just, just calling to make peace. I don't know why you're upset. Literally, you know, you're a professional journalist. Part of what you do is you criticise other people. You say, this person's performance isn't good enough, this person's this. I'm saying, you're a liar, here's my proof. Right. <laughs> and I'm providing the proof. And an audience wouldn't go with it if I didn't have the proof. If I didn't have, here's a thing he wrote, and here's another thing he wrote, and here's another thing he wrote, and here's the truth. You can't do that without the proof. It doesn't work. And so the... I can back up everything I've said about you. and I don't know why you're upset, because you do this to other people. This is your game. You're a professional, and you're, you know, what's, what's the deal? You go, well, I've been getting homophobic abuse. Go, on Twitter? You go, yes. I go, I've seen every tweet sent to you. <laughs> you haven't. Well, they've been sending direct messages. Well, at the time, you could only send a direct message to someone if you were following them. And he was following 28 people, and one of them was Cher. <laughs> I was like... You haven't. And if they're people you're following in this direct... Then that's not the people watching this. Well, I'm taking it up with the police. And then he, he wrote... He started writing to sort of gay campaign groups going, this comedian is homophobic and he's been doing material about me slagging me off for being gay and... Da, 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 and sort of trying to incite yeah, yeah. the sort of placard-waving crowd against me. And he wrote to Boy George saying all this. <laughs> and Boy George is following me on Twitter. So I sent him a direct message and said, look... I'm sure you've dismissed Neil Sean's <laughs> rantings for what they are. Uh, but just on the off chance that any part of that made you concerned, here's a link to where the episode's online. No pressure. But I, I swear if you watch it, you'll see there's not a homophobic word in the show. And he went, oh, don't worry, I hate queens as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, what's, what's astonishing about it is that you're... The whole of the show, the whole of all, every show of Modern Life is good. You're at such pains, I think, always to make sure that you're, you know, you're not seen as uh, targeting the wrong thing. I think you're, yeah. I have all the comedians I've seen, you're the most careful, I think, in terms of this isn't about this, this is about this, you know. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And there's absolutely no suggestion with it. I, I, I that, you know, I didn't even realise he was gay, to be honest. No, exactly, exactly. Even, you you, you could watch the show and yeah, there's yeah. absolutely nothing you would take away no, no. knowing anything about his sexuality. No. So it's, it's entirely thing he brought into the argument. Um, and I, he got really upset last time and, and he made it worse for himself. And I'm genuinely pleased that this time he maintained a dignified silence. Although, yeah. with the Doctor Who DVD, where literally almost every word is a lie, <laughs> it would be really hard to defend. I mean, he would be really... Yeah, a sticky he's, wicket. He's sitting at home printing up more copies of that DVD. <laughs> and, and catching good, it. good luck to the man. I wish him no ill. I just wish he'd try and do things well. Um, and in that same episode, um, you talk about this. You're talking about kind of copying thing, things that copies. You yeah, come across yeah, yeah. Um, various uh, Disney style DVDs. That, yeah. So there's, uh, instead of happy feet, there's tappy toes. Yeah. And instead of, uh, uh, well, there's one that's, um, tap, tappy, I went on Amazon, tappy toes is four ninety nine. Yeah. If you want to buy that to see that. I, a, no, don't, there's a, don't. There's a three pack, which has tappy toes, puss in boots, and chop kick panda. Yeah. That costs £4.48. So if, you, if you're going to, if you want to buy tappy toes... Which I kind of do, having seen a little yeah. clip of it. My favourite is Ratatouille. <laughs> which, which is exactly what you think it is. <laughs> From the time, they, are, they are remarkable things. Yes. 
I think they're largely Brazilian or Portuguese right, okay. is where they're made. I know one or the other. Um, and they're just these sort of cheap animation houses. Yeah. And I don't know if they have to achieve sort of an, a 60-minute or a 90-minute running time <laughs> to qualify. I don't know why they are as long as they are. But each and every one of them has got a, a scene, several scenes where the same bit of animation is just used over and over and over and over and over <laughs> yeah. and over and over again because it's cheap yeah. um, and nothing significant is happening. Has, has, has anyone done one with the Shrek in it? Is that, <laughs> a Shrek, I, it, I might it's, do. It's probably not a Shrek yeah. because they wouldn't be allowed to have a Shrek. Well, but there's probably a... If it's a Shrek with a, a lowercase s, <laughs> it might, might work. There's, probably, uh, there's almost certainly one with a green ogre that's not called Shrek. That's called I want to see that. I'm look at, again, yeah. I want to buy all these things. Um, and I don't know if we talked about this last time, but you were in the Daily Show in the, uh, in the two, mid-2000s. I had a, a little stint there, yeah. yeah. Along yeah. with John Oliver. Yeah. How do, how do you feel about John Oliver's uh, American success? I, I love John Oliver's American success. I was actually... Uh, this is, this is going to be a very self-aggrandizing anecdote, uh, for which I apologise, um, but it is the truth. I had... This illustrates something about British and American TV, and the fact yeah. that I'm a part of this story just makes me a sort of zelig figure that I don't actually have any great impact on anything. But would, I had... Years ago, I was a script editor on The 11 O'Clock Show, which is much derided by many people, but also featured an incredibly talented bunch of people who oft, almost all went on to do great things and, sure. and whatever. Uh, and it was a weird show, and it was a bit late night, and it was a bit swearing. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the show, but it paid my Edinburgh debts to script edit it for one series. And because of my involvement in that, and because I'd done some daily show stuff, Channel 4 were looking to bring back a new sort of 11 o'clock show that was going to be the new answer to the daily show, only British. And I got called in for a meeting by people who said, would you help us produce it? And I said, no, satire is not really my beat. I'm not really doing very topical stuff on The Daily Show. It's not my, not my thing. And they were going, oh, God, please, even if you don't, you don't have to do anything on camera, even if you leave the minute we've cast it, if you could help us put the thing together because you have an insight into it and you've seen how they do it and we'd be really interested. I was going, I'm not going to do it. Um, in my experience, and obviously people at Channel 4 have changed, but some of the people there... What they wanted when they did the 11 o'clock show was young people who'd do what they were told. And I don't think you can have satire with young people who do what they're told. I think you need to have old people who have an opinion and are going to go, no, we're not fucking doing that, we're doing this, because it matters. And they have to have a bit of that in them to be a proper satirist. Uh, and rather than, oh, yeah, yeah, certainly, if you want to stand here and say that, absolutely, I don't think that's, yeah. that's what makes a satirist. So I was like, that's what's, that was what was wrong with it the last time. I worry that it'll be like that again, in which case I don't want to really be involved. My top tip to you would be to hire John Oliver. I think he's brilliant. And he's the only sort of working comic on the circuit at the moment who's got the gravitas and who is actually a satirist, who's actually doing proper satire rather than pointing out that particular politicians are ugly or fat or whatever. Real, talking about the issues. And they went, yeah, we told Channel 4 that, but they're not interested. They didn't like his voice. <laughs> and I went, do you mean his comic voice? His, his attitude, his t- and they went, no, his accent. <laughs> so Channel 4 turned down John Oliver when they were trying to do a British reboot of The Daily Show. A couple of months later, I was in New York doing some Daily Show stuff, and we'd finished the recording, and I was walking back to, into the offices with John and the series producer, and they said to me, you probably know we're looking for an English correspondent on the show, and I said, yeah. And there was, no, I, there was no part of me thinking, ooh, are they going to accept? Because I, I, I didn't want to move to New York, and they knew I was very comfortable doing my little bits every now and then. And they said, uh, you know, we've auditioned a whole load of people just interested. Is, is there anyone you'd recommend? 
And I said, yeah, yeah, John Oliver. And they went, oh, it's so good to hear that, because that's who we've hired. <laughs> so the Americans who do the show that Channel 4 were trying to copy had looked at everyone in England and gone, he's the man. Yeah. And when Channel 4 were trying to copy them, they couldn't fucking even copy that. <laughs> which I, I found remarkable. Yes. It was, uh, but John, John I, I crossed over a little bit, because I used to go over and do like three shows in one day or in a, over a couple of days and, yeah. and be there for a week and then go away again and they'd sort of show them. And I, and I was never great on it. I, I never really nailed it. I'm, I'm not sort of, you know, I, I just, it was all right occasionally, but it wasn't as good as it should be, as that show should be. And John came in and just blitzed it from the beginning. Yeah. And you could see him going, oh, <laughs> people will let me do this. I've been trying to do this for ages and nobody would let me. This is nice. And he was just like Dr. Water and absolutely deserves all his success because he is yeah. fucking brilliant at that. Yes, he is. It's, yeah. it's insane that, you know, it's absolutely insane that he had to go to America. It is, it is. Well, you know, but he was there and he was available and, and they, they could have had him doing yeah. that show over here had they had the appetite for it. But somebody at Channel 4 decided he had an estuary accent that they weren't impressed with. Yeah. <laughs> well, I funny. I did. A, I did. A, there was some like E four attempt at a, a like it was pilots. I think I'm not yeah. sure they even went. Maybe they went out as well, but uh, who knows? We did a week long thing, but they had. It was like a panel, and John and Andy were both on that yeah, panel. Yeah, yeah. But there was about ten. It was like a big table of about ten people, and everyone trying to get in on it, and it was yeah, just yeah. like a disaster. But again, it had such amazing people in it, and again, John Oliver there. You know, yeah. being, I know it's being such a ridiculous issues. missed opportunity. <laughs> but you know, there we go. There. Oh. Now, Richard. Yes. If you could be hung like a horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, yeah. Be the size and shape of a horse. But not a horse. <laughs> or be hung like a mouse yeah. and be you. <laughs> yeah. Which would you be? Um, this is from well, my book. Emergency question. That's a good question. Well, I mean, the second one is what I am at the moment. Anyway. <laughs> so I would... I would attempt, I would try. I've got quite fascinated with horses. I live in the countryside now. Look, look Dave. Look, 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 my trousers have mud on them. Yeah. Because I live in the countryside. Uh, and uh, everywhere you walk, my, my trousers have got shit on them because I've got a kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, it might be that as well. Uh, but horses fascinate me. I've talked about it a little bit already on this podcast, but they don't look. When you get up close to them, and I grew up in the country, so I should know this. Yeah. When you get close to them, they don't look real. I think, you know, there's, there's things that make. When you start living in the countryside, I don't think I, I start thinking that the world is like a Truman Show construct, and they've put most of the work into the cities right. to make them look real. And when you get to the country, everything just sort of starts. <laughs> and you go up close to a horse and you look at it, you go, "That's not a real thing." <laughs> their kind of face is weird. They've got hair. It's like got hairstyles. There's yeah. a horse really near to me that looks exactly like Dobby from Peep Show. And, like, and just the same hairstyle. And it's just like... And that is no insult to Izzy City. It's the horse just has the same hairstyle as the, as the character. What's that? And someone's just gone, I'll just use the Izzy for... That, just use the Dobby from Peep Show Simpsons template. Line of, uh, in the Simpsons episode where they're filming something and the kids are all watching them film something. And, and they have to paint horses to look like cows right and they go, why are you painting the horses cows just don't look like cows on film <laughs> we, have to, we have to paint horses <laughs> so what do you do for horses ah oh, usually we just tape a load of cats together <laughs> 
they're really they're, they've got whiskers right horses got whiskers yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, God, that's not right they, they never have to go through a narrow place they don't even have to know how wide they are they got you little think their beers. whiskers are as wide as the horse? <laughs> well, they don't need for the, whiskers. For the canal towing. They don't, <laughs> they don't need whiskers. They scratch their ears with their back hooves. That is weird. I'm just going to point out, Richard, that both you and I have got whiskers, and neither of us <laughs> need them either. Mine are the same width. <laughs> Paul Chowdhury's are the same width as his. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Paul Chowdhury's moustache is the same width as him, but... Neither you or I are there. Good question. Uh, I'll ask... I didn't... I definitely ask you this question. I'll ask this. This is the last I'm going to ask it. If you were going to be in a human centipede, the last time he's ever going to Richard be... Richard Herring, Stuart Lee. Wow. Am I at the front? Yeah. Okay. Good. No, I, sorry. I, I, it's, I'd rather just answer that than think about it. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. Yeah, it's nice. It's a good day. Okay. Well, we're not going to do it. <laughs> it wasn't like, well, now I didn't know I had the chance... <laughs> Please I was welcome. really dealing in the hypothetical if you had to, not if you could. Please welcome Shirley and the mad scientist. <laughs> if the question Listen. began, if you could be in a human centipede, the answer would be, I wouldn't you have choose to. to be in a human centipede. It's definitely posited on the if you had to. There's no other way of that question getting an answer. <laughs> you were Lee Mack's phone a friend on uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I was, yeah. Yeah, and you got the question right. I did. Yeah, you've been very successful in uh, in. This Christmas. irks you a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I, uh, you know, in in America, they have in showbiz, they were talking about the egot for people who've got yeah. an, an, an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Yeah. Well, I've got uh, the FPC, uh, which is the British showbiz equivalent of I've won fifteen to one. Well. Pointless. And the chase. Have you won? Did you win the money on the chase? Yeah. 100 grand. And do you know what? And this is the thing about this, because it's a really good day out. I had a brilliant time doing it. Uh, My team was Nigel Havers, (laughs) uh, Melinda Messenger. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) I did not expect that. Uh, Michelle, someone from Emmerdale. Yeah. Because I don't watch Emmerdale, I don't know more than that, but she was Michelle <clears> and she's very nice. And myself. And they went through the line and Nigel won £1,000. And then uh, Melinda won, I think, £3,000. Uh, and then, or maybe it was, I can't remember, it's a bit more. And then uh, Michelle won like £7,000. And then. I won seven or eight, or I think it was about seven, about the same as her, whatever, but then I got offered the big money, and I was offered £86,000, which took it to 100. Yeah. Whatever they'd won before, mine took it to 100. Um, and so I went for it, and won it, and then we beat the chaser. Wow. Which is really exciting, and we're all cheering, and Nigel is cheering, we're all going, and everyone has won 25 grand, and a part of you is going, fuck off, Nigel. <laughs> £86,000, £1,000, £86,000. But you're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to be that guy in the middle of that celebration. We're all, it's a team. We're a team. We won 100 86 of it with me. You fuckers. Why am I not being carried aloft? Why is it all high fives and hey, aren't we brilliant? 
I'm glad that winning could make you as angry as losing. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I watched. I watched your most recent uh, yeah. pointless, and I, I felt sorry for you. Yeah, you well, did well. Because I was married to Katie. No, no, I, I've never oh. felt sorry for him. I've, I've okay. always thought, bloody hell, well done. Um, <laughs> oh, about yeah, that. Right. But the, um, you know, it was a tough, it was a tough, you got close, you got very close. It's very close, Robert Lindsay. And I daughter. know that you, I know, because I've seen you talk about on Twitter and stuff, that in the final round that you didn't get into, you did have a pointless answer. Yeah. So had you got through, you would have won the money. And I know, because it's the same as when I was on it, I had, a, I, had a fucking, I had a pointless answer for the final round. The difference being, I got to the final round. That was... That was, that was, that was that's what separates us, Richard. Yeah. That's what that's, separates us. Two points. That was <laughs> we were lucky to get through the first round. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, we were in, I didn't mind in that third, because that, that third appearance, I just felt like so amazed we got through every round. We, yeah. we looked like we weren't going to get through, yeah. and I gave answers that I wasn't even sure were right, and yeah. we got through, and we managed to get through. So it was, I was just relieved to have, you know, but then you got, I got the first answer in the head-to-head right. It was like, this is all heading. The yeah. right. we, yeah, got yeah. The, we got the one. We, they went first, and we got their answer right. We're in, we just need to get out with the first answer right. Yeah. The way thing, I was Richard Osman did it on purpose. Yes. I was I was doing it with my partner on on Pointless was John Shuttleworth who isn't even a real person. No, who isn't a real person? <laughs> and I I know Graham a little bit, not very yeah. well, but I've, I've sort of met him a few times and I've always got on with him. And I'm a huge fan. And and, and one of the when I was a student in Manchester and I just started doing stand up, I saw him do a gig at the Buzz Club. It's one of the best live shows I've ever seen in my life. It was just phenomenal and that never leaves you and so I'm always a fan yeah. it's not someone I met in a dressing room and got on with and were on, I was on the bill with I was a, a kid in the audience watching this genius blow the roof off a place it was so good and so I've always got a bit of that with me and so I'm stood next to him on pointless just going this is ridiculous right? <laughs> <laughs> and also I'm watching him play the machinations he's playing the game like nobody else because he's thinking not just what do I know but what would John know? <laughs> and, have, and actually answering in character and, right. and not saying things if he thinks, no, John wouldn't know that. <laughs> it's just like such a weird restriction to place on yourself on a show like that. But it was you a You still won. I did, yeah. Which Now I'm very nervous about accepting any other yeah. quiz shows because I feel like my record... Well, you need to do Tipping Point. Uh, I mean, it doesn't it count feels without Tipping a, Point. A, a bit more of a game of chance. Well... Have you done Tipping Point? No, I would love to. If you yeah. know the producers, please let them know. I've got a friend who is a friend of the producers. Okay, yeah. I don't know the producer myself. I think I'm not ITV enough. I'm not ITV enough to go on The Chase, which is, you know, apparently... I didn't think I was. No. Um, but some, I was, somebody... It was, a, it was a veiled insult. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's all I have. I, no, I, I take no insult <laughs> in it. Not at no, all. I'd love to I mean, it would feel like an chase. insult if you'd won Pointless. <laughs> um, but... I got the highest ever score in Celebrity Mastermind. And then what happened? Someone else got a higher score. (laughs) Two minutes later. (laughs) But then someone got a much higher score in the later one, so it was still all right. I I have... I've been really, 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 really lucky. Genuinely, I'm not... Like, when I did 15 to 1... The series producer on the first four series of my show, he still works on my show, but he's not a series producer now, but the, he, his first ever job in telly was on 15 to 1. And so he used to write questions for it, and he sort of, that's where he sort of earned his spurs in telly, uh, under the William G. Stewart tutelage. And he was a real student of how the game played out. 
Uh, and when I came in the next day, he was like, oh, how did you do? And I, I won it. He was like, oh, bloody hell, well done. What podium were you in? I was like, 15. He went, no way. One and 15 are always the worst. One and 15, <laughs> you, yeah, they're the, the, normally they're the ones who get picked off first. For some reason, the people in the centre don't get picked as much. And the people sort of look at the ends and they pick them. And actually, it was Frank Skinner was in podium one, and Lucy Porter was in podium 14, and I was in podium 15. So we were in the th- three out of the four worst podiums, according to this expert's theory. And we became the final three. And I think part of it was Frank started things off, and, and they said, oh, nominate someone. And obviously, as there always are on these sort of things with 15 people, there's a mixture of people of different disciplines, but there were a few comics around. And Frank said... I don't think I should pick on another comic. I think the comics should not pick on one another, so I'm going to pick on, and he named yeah. an athlete or whatever. Uh, and that became a bit, it then became a bit rude <laughs> for a comic to pick on a comic. Yes. So we were all a little bit protected, and I just thought, I'm going to say nothing. <laughs> I'm just going to absolutely draw no attention to myself. I know I just played almost mum, and I only spoke if I was absolutely forced, and it became yeah. my question. And so nobody nominated me for ages. <laughs> I think probably I've got a bit of a good table game. It's like poker, and people yeah. thought he might be good. Yeah. But people kept picking on Lucy Porter, and she kept picking them off and getting the answer right and then going at them again. Like, she's such a good quizzer. And I, I only got through by saying nothing. Yeah. And then in the final round, I just watched Frank and Lucy pick on each other <laughs> until they were dead, and then I just cleaned up a few and made yeah. a few quid. But I, I was just so lucky. It was like I was wearing an invisibility cloak on yeah. 15 to 1, which is the best tactic. Like, did you literally try and hide behind the little... You just go and duck down and hide behind the little I, lights. I, I did what I could with my butt. I didn't actually go down, but I sort of did hold myself in. Yeah. And sort of, I didn't make eye contact with anyone. I just stared into the middle distance and pretended I wasn't there. All right, stop going on about all your quiz shows. <laughs> You're good at. I'm surprised it took you this long to get there. To be honest with you. <laughs> the thing I was most looking forward to talking to you. About. <laughs> no, I knew you would. That's, that's why I didn't want to bring it up. Um, your new tour, which I can't believe you've had time to write anything, is starting. You've kind of written it yet. I've got a bit. You've got some. I've got some written. It's starting in the autumn of 2018, is it? Yeah. Already? yeah, yeah, yeah. September. Yeah. Yeah. So with great PowerPoint comes great responsibility point. Yeah. Although at least one venue has printed tickets that say the title is With Great Power Comes Great Responsibility. <laughs> which is missing the point. It is. Um, <laughs> twice, as it goes. But, um, uh, yeah, which is what you know. That's the thing. Like, you have to have a title so that people know it's a new show. But it, you can't give it a title because you haven't written it all yet. So you just have to... Yeah, it's a good title. Some think, construction of words. I that, think if you come up with a title that makes people laugh straight away, that's a good title. Joe Lysett's the king that's of it. A, that's absolutely the best, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's the way, aha, uh-huh, aha, uh-huh, Joe Lysett. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a perfect, perfect title. <laughs> but also, he's peaked. Yes. With that, so... <laughs> Where else is he going to go? Back from that, he does have another one. He does, he's done other ones. Yeah. Yeah, that is the best. That one. is the best title. It is hard to, yeah. hard, to, hard to top that. So Carl, a, Carl Donnelly had a very good. one I can't remember what it was, but I remember thinking, "Oh yeah, he had a really good poster where his head was too small for his shoulders or something like that." Yeah, yeah. Um, what's going to be? What's is it going to be? More of the old, same, all the rubbish that you do on a telly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. more of that. I mean, <laughs> it, it will be different to that, but yeah. it will be that is. I've sort of been, I, I am basically a double act with a screen. That is what I do, yeah. um, and it would be weird. I, I've, this is the thing with Modern Life is Goodish. Whether people like it or dislike it, I'm I'm the only comic in the last fifteen years to be given a show 
which is a solo stand-up show that is like what they do live. Yes. There isn't a single other comic who does like an extended, long-form stand-up is a thing. Yeah. And on telly, stand-up exists in seven-minute chunks. Yeah. But actually, the people who do big tours don't aren't that seven minutes isn't what they're best at. No. It isn't a series of seven minutes. What you're best at is shaping something that lasts 90 minutes and it's got some form. And that's what I do for a living. And I, I find it very hard to turn that into a seven-minute piece with a beginning, a middle, and end because mm-hmm. what I'm doing is in minute 47 of my show, I'm calling back to minute seven and 13 and 28. You know, that, that, that's yeah. the structure of what I do. You can't put that into these really short sets. And I just, I just think genuinely... I know it sounds pious or whatever, but like a real sense of privilege to be the guy who got that opportunity. I do, I, occasionally I get tweets from people sort of going, oh, I really like that show. It should be on proper telly. It should be on BBC <laughs> Two. It should be... Uh, well, show me when BBC Two last gave someone an hour-long stand-up show. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't exist. I'm, like, no. I'm the only guy who's been given this opportunity. That's a brilliant privilege. What a, what a shot. Yeah, no, to it's, be able to do it. It is, it is like, terrific. To really get, well, and, and you know, and, but no, even comedians don't really get the chance to do sketch shows, or you know, yeah. So you, if you can manage to get a sitcom, that might happen. Yeah, yeah. It's mainly panel shows. And, yeah, yeah. You know, those that's the way to appear on TV. And for some, for um, some people, the they can sort of reflect what they do in stand up on a panel show, but a lot of people can't. No. And for a lot of people, you know, if they got a sitcom or whatever, you could have a really funny sitcom and have people come and see you live and go, God, I didn't think it was going to be like that. Yeah. Because it, you can't, it can't be the same thing. Yeah. Whereas mine, it, it's, it's an advert. Right? If you don't like that, you won't like seeing me live. If you like that, you will like seeing me live. Yeah. You just will. It's, that's what it is. It's, yeah. That's the form of it. So th- that's um, as good a calling card as you can get. And I'm very happy for people who don't like it to not come and the people who do to come. That's, like, yes. that's, <laughs> yes. that's, that's a good thing. Yes. <laughs> and are you going to do more of the TV series? or is it, is it, I know it's been a struggle for you. Have, from I, having I don't know. You, but... I, 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 um, I, we did the first series and they commissioned two more immediately. And then we did the second. The, while we were making the third series, they commissioned two more. But then I had Eric. And it is this 100 hours a week that we can't find a way around. We tried our hardest to find different ways of doing it during series four, and they all failed, and I ended up working harder to solve the problems that we'd created by trying to solve the problems. And I love it, and I'm really proud of it. I can't do it next year because of the tour, because it, it, this series took eight months to make, and you can't, you can't really do other work and an eight-month series. There, there isn't time yeah. in the year to make things happen and, and do the other things. So can't do it next year. So I've sort of said, like, they would like more, and I don't want to say no, but I also don't want to say yes. <laughs> so, like, I've, I've said no next year, and during that year, I'm perfectly comfortable with the idea that they might go, oh, we've got some new toys and we don't need you anymore. And I'm also perfectly comfortable with the idea that I go, do you know what's really nice going to bed <laughs> at the same time as my wife? <laughs> oh, that's nice. I, I don't want to do it anymore. So I don't know what's going to happen beyond next year. I've just said, let's put the brakes on and be friendly rather than commit to it and then have it hanging over me. And if you have a year um, of not doing it, you'll forget that it's how difficult it is and go back well, to let's doing see. it again. Yeah. <laughs> and if that happens, I will always come back to this podcast. Good. Then we could talk. <laughs> to remind myself. Uh, and, well, you did Taskmaster with Paul. You were in the same series as Paul. I was on, on the same show as Paul, yeah. yeah. Um, and loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Having talked about winning quizzes, that's the one thing I'm really, uh, I'm really jealous I didn't. I came second on the series, right? And they're now doing a best of, like the the winners of the first five series, yes. are now doing a, a sort of champions of champions. And I so wish I'd won it. <laughs> I so wish I was doing that because it's the most fun in the it world. Like it's, it, yeah. You can't. 
it doesn't matter whether you do something well or not. It's, it's, <laughs> like, it's, it's funny to watch it back. It's just, like, if you're absolutely shit at something, that's excruciating but kind of funny to watch. And if you're really good at anything, that's just triumphant to watch. And you just can't lose on the show. It's no. just such a funny it's a great, thing it's, to it's be a, a part it's of. It's a brilliant... Uh, really nice. and so we talked about with uh, Richard Osman as well, just in that it was that groundbreaking he was saying he had a similar format well in terms of the returning people yeah and just before taskmaster came out everyone going no no yeah you yeah. can't do the same people no one will watch the same people doing every week and obviously you do that and everyone goes oh, oh let's do the yeah, same yeah, people yeah. coming back every week Those things, and, and i would i give props to uh dave as a channel because they've had some successes with it with their original programming i don't know everyone mocks them for showing a lot of repeats and all of that but actually when they get things right things luckily my show has done well for them but taskmaster's done brilliantly for them as well and that what they can't i don't think they can do well with a panel show that's a bit like another panel show and just as good as another panel show i think people won't go down the dial to them mm. if it looks and feels like the sort of thing that's available on bbc2 or channel 4 or whatever and the things they've had success with are things where you go i've not seen anything look like that before bloody hell that's a that's, a, that's novel yeah and so it, it, they're the one channel that actually really pays to break the mould. Yeah. And so other channels were going, oh, we're not sure we want to have the same people back every week, isn't it just a panel show? And yeah. they were the ones going, oh, other people wouldn't do this. Ah, good for us. <laughs> yeah. And they enjoy being that, that channel, and, and, they, and they really back things if they work as well. Yeah. You know, they really get behind it and promote it and stuff. So I, I've, I've got nothing but no, well, positive things to say about it. It is, I mean, but it's interesting because it's, you know, it's sort of, again, it's a no-brainer... That someone in a stand-up doing a stand-up show would work, you know. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. Sort of, it's sort of bizarre that everyone else is more or less. I mean, Stuart's the only other person that has got. But close even those were that. halves. They were half you know, hours, and, and then I love the show, but and they've still taken it away. But you know, only you and he have managed to take what you want to do and put it yeah, on TV. Yeah. What you're good at doing. And the doing thing on I think what people don't necessarily get with Taskmaster, and one of the reasons it's so much fun to do, is there's actually a really big gap between you doing all the tasks and you being in the studio watching them back. Nice. Because they have to take all that footage away and edit it and work out what they're going to do with it and shape them and decide which ones are going to go into which episode and stuff. So you've done 10 days over the space of two or three months of going to the house and doing some tasks. That, yeah. was, that was what we did. It was a shorter series, but we, it was 10 days of filming. And each time you turn up, you do five or six things. And then it's months later. It's not like, oh, we just finished that and turn up next week and do the studios. So we were sitting there, and they, al- they always sit people in alphabetical order. Right. So, that, that, so there's, it's meritocratic. They don't, they don't sort of choose and, and mould it. So it was always Al, me, Paul, uh, Sarah, and Rob. Or Rob and Sarah, that's right. I can do the alphabet. <laughs> and, uh, so I was always sat with, with Al Murray that side and Paul Cowdery that side. So they're the only ones I can sort of whisper to during the show. And they'd bring up a task, and the number of times we would go, God, what did you do in this one? I've no idea. <laughs> I've no, I've no idea. At all. I, I genu- genuinely wouldn't know how you'd done. Yeah. So there's one where I'd cheated and I'd forgotten I'd cheated, <laughs> and they played it and I came out of it really well. And I was thinking, but I must have done really well at that. One. I didn't think I'd done really well. That's great. And then they pulled the rug from under you and go, oh, hang on, we got some close-up footage, and there's me <laughs> pouring my cup of tea into the bucket or whatever. I'd completely forgotten doing that. So it's actually a revelation to you. Yes. At the same time as it is to the audience, you do too much too quickly and you can't take it in. There's one that wasn't in the shows. We did a little taster. They filmed like a short version with everyone on our series, like a 
20 minute thing with just some bits and they did the same with the cast from the series before us all on the same day just i don't know sort of testing the relationships and checking some things were working or whatever as a sort of pilot and one of the tasks that they showed in that was, you know, like on um, Art Attack or something, there'd be a camera up above and there'd be an artwork made out of yes. things. We had to use toilet rolls to do a portrait of someone. And it was all about whether Greg could recognise <laughs> who you'd done a portrait of. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they sort of showed my, the face I'd made out of toilet rolls and then Greg was going, I don't, I don't know his. And eventually it became, all right, Dave, who is it? Okay. I genuinely don't remember. <laughs> I, Jenny, I have literally no idea whatsoever. And they had to tell me that I had said it was Mick Jagger. <laughs> but I, I didn't know. <laughs> it's too many months have gone by. Oh. Um, cool. And uh, you're, you like play, you play a lot of tricks on your wife in, uh, increasingly in uh, Modern Life is Goodish. Occasionally. Yeah. 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 How does she feel about this in, uh, in the real life world where these um, tricks are... She, she's quite happy with it yeah she's um my wife would hate it i have to say my I think, wife would I, I, I hope and i think it is true that if you watch the episodes where there is sort of domestic um content of that sort it is really obvious how heavily and, and deeply in love i am <laughs> yes. with my wife um and so that hopefully that comes across and leavens things uh and in episode four of of this series uh she absolutely 100 percent gets her revenge <laughs> and that was very satisfying, especially for people who've watched the, all of the series and, and yeah. sort of seen the number of times she is the butt of some gentle humour. Um, but, but, yeah, occasionally, because she does work in telly, and obviously you cherry-pick the moments that work for the show, and occasionally she does sort of sit there in the green room thinking, there's an executive producer there and a commissioning editor there who now think I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> and she's not. She's a really talented, really creative, really funny, great writer. She's brilliant at what she does. And, and so I do sort of have to go and underline to them occasionally just out of, um, you know, doing the right thing. Yeah. That, like, there are things that I, one thing I love most about my wife is she cannot say the word Vietnamese. <laughs> she can't say it. If you, next time you meet her, yeah, ask her to say, uh, it's Vietnamese. Uh, you can't, it's just weird, just weird syllables. You cannot separate something about those syllables, so it's Vietnamese. And, and you just go through it with a game, Viet, Viet, no, no, mese. All right, uh, Vietnamese. You, you just can't, so, all right, I mean, it just makes me laugh so much. But we've all got something like that. We've all got, it doesn't make you stupid or bad at your job, it's just your little foible, and those things are. Oh, endlessly amusing to me. Um, and she loves Vietnamese food as well. <laughs> but we don't have it anywhere near as much as she'd like. <laughs> I do like the, one, the trick you played with the, um, the VTech toys, because we have, I think, probably a lot of Most people have, have got them, if they've got because it was a, they the same The same thing that, that annoyed you, that some of them have a, a reasonable song, yeah. and uh, some of them just feel, what? They just like ad lib this in the studio. The one with the fire engine one is for age. That's the one we got. The fire engine goes, yeah. Uh, quick, quick, kick comes the man with the ladder. It's just like really weird way of off we go to the big fire. Yeah, you know, yeah, and you kind of yeah. go, that's a it doesn't rhyme. Is that how you view firemen as the man, the people with the ladder? I mean, that's yeah. a sort of odd way of saying it. But then you know, maybe that's because they're all in different languages in different places, which is what you your trick involves. But you, but you wouldn't have to translate the song exactly you could, well, no, you could, you could. let the german department decide on their own <laughs> song for their fire engine yeah. and then create another one for 
I mean, the I British. think they don't care, do they? They think, well, let's just get these things out there. The the man who did the voice on the police car tweeted me to say oh, he enjoyed, he? <laughs> enjoyed it. <laughs> and it was the police car one that was, was the most comic yes. to us. Yes. Because um, it just... I mean, it just makes no effort to rhyme yes. at all. <laughs> Can't remember quite what it is, but it's... No. But the level of, you know, the level you've gone into on this prank where you're going to your friend's house, I don't want to give too much of it away, but yeah. changing, buying the foreign versions and so you can switch if you, if over you, the bottom. If you buy the, the foreign version and if you're lucky enough for the bottom half of the bottom, because they don't, like, the French ambulance is a completely different colour yeah. scheme to the British ambulance and whatever. So you have to find ones that match in the colour scheme. And things like the cement mixer has a different coloured barrel in the foreign ones and whatever. But if you can find ones where the base and the wheels are the same colour and you've got a screwdriver, you can swap the tops over so that your wife, who has been playing with your child and his English-language cement mixer, suddenly thinks that your child must have pressed something to turn it into a German cement mixer. (laughs) And that was all it was meant to be in the first place, was that she would say, oh, what have I done? I don't know how to change it back. And I'd just go, oh, you need to hold the screen in and press the two wheels and, and do a factory reset. Uh, and I'd be able to swap the English one back in, and I'd always be able to do it, and she wouldn't be able to do it. But then she went and reported it to our WhatsApp group of fellow parents, and it spiralled out of control. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, So I started going round to their houses and swapping their toys when our children were having play dates. And then one of them started trying to complain to VTech online. (laughs) I thought, I've got to fess up here. <laughs> but great. also, to the extent you put in dead batteries into the ones you were changing so that they wouldn't immediately spot it, so it would be a well, few days before they... I've got a reputation. So um, <laughs> if, if Dave's just been round and the cement mixer is now German, they might think, oh, that was Dave. But if I put dead batteries in it, Dave's just been round and the cement mixer isn't working. Oh, well, we'll fix that in a couple of days' time. We'll go to the, I'll go to Poundland and buy some batteries. Three days later, you've been to Poundland, you put the batteries in. Now it's German. The fact that it's been dead makes you think, oh, something's <laughs> reset. Well, yeah. And I'm off the hook. No one's thinking it's me anymore. <laughs> the fun part was trying to deaden so many batteries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I worry that you put this mind to evil purpose somewhere along the last... As I well, don't think that's quite, evil. I, don't I think, no, I think it that, isn't evil, that, but my worry is that, as well as doing these these pranks, that you've got some master crimes going on in the background that you are hiding. Well, I don't know if... I, I haven't done the episode yet about my Russian botnet. <laughs> um, but I am responsible for... Yeah, anything good for you. Well, we're going to have to wrap up. Uh, you know, I have to go to Hertfordshire now, get dirty with horses. Um, so... Um, why aren't, on your tour, yeah. why aren't you playing Cheddar at the King's Theatre in Cheddar? <laughs> oh, don't do that. <laughs> because they didn't book me. <laughs> it's just an annoying thing that uh, yeah, comedians get that yeah. I notice you have to keep on saying as well as I do. Yeah. We don't go to the places that uh, we don't go to because they don't book us. That's how it works. Um, all right, it was just for you and me, Dave, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Look, thanks so much for coming on uh, the show. Pleasure. And thank you for being uh, a fantastic guest to end the series on. I hope next series uh, my child will be sleeping a bit more and uh, I-, I won't be as tired. Uh, but um, <laughs> <laughs> probably, you know, it's going to carry on like this for a few years. And then, I mean, the thing if is... If you want to go and have two. Yeah. I'm so are. old, I've just realised I'm never getting out the other end of this. 
and I'm I'm thinking about just sending it. Which bit are you thinking of? <laughs> uh, me for the right. moment. Okay. So that's yeah. that's the best. I don't think that's in their interest. No, that's the problem. With Isn't them. It? That's the. I've got to hang around, or it wrecks it for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, little fuckers. They're little fuckers. They're nice though. Uh, but um, now you've had two. They're only getting half a house in Hertfordshire each. <laughs> It's um, a, a, a raw deal. They're not getting anything. I'm, I'm gonna, when I'm dying, I'm burning the fucking house down. <laughs> my wife's not getting anything. My kids aren't getting anything. That's it. Bang. Is that why the emergency question, what do you most <laughs> regret burning? Yeah. <laughs> what do you most look forward to burning? Is the next, <laughs> is the next series. We'll be back. Pretty. If you're listening at home, we'll be back almost immediately with series 13. Uh, we'll be back. If you're listening here, we'll be back uh, in the beginning of February through to... I mean, it's crazy. We're both on tour next year. Uh, do come and see uh, all the comedians on these podcasts. Thank you very much for supporting us at home. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Good luck. Bye. Dave Gorman! been listening to Rich Hangs. This is Beth the Apocalypse will be Rich Hang and my guest, David James Gorman. The music is by Pest, and there's a member of Pest called James, that's what I'm guessing. Thank you to everyone at Les Square Theatre, especially James. Thank you to everyone at Go Past the Strike, especially James Evans, not that one. Thank you to everyone at the British Comedy Guide. There's no one called James there, that would be crazy coincidence. My producer, I'm indebted to Ben Walker. Uh, this is a James Sky Potato, GoFasterStrike.com and James Fuzz Production. <laughs> the internet, I don't know, I've gone mad. <laughs> 